From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 14th. Listeners, it's Fall Radiothon, and that means here at the Newscast, we get to reflect on some stories and projects we've been working on for the past few months. We talked about that live this afternoon from downtown Moab with KZMU's Executive Director, Sarah Mead. Um, I'm here live with uh, KZMU News's <laughs> Molly Marcello and Justin Higginbottom. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Okay, so these mic- quick quick tech corner. These microphones are different from the ones at the station. You, okay. you kind of have to eat the mic. Be- um, is this better? Can oh, you hear me yes. out there? Oh my gosh, you sound so good. Uh, great job, Sarah Mead, on mixing um, our outside studio, by the way. I don't know <laughs> if listeners know what's involved here, but we have a lot of wires and mics and a mixing board, and she's doing such a great job. I, I love this. <laughs> and, and I think in my next phase, in, in my third act, uh, maybe I'll just be I'll just be an engineer to j- just do events, live event broadcasting. Well, you're certainly you've certainly had to do it, so we we appreciate you. Well, the reason that I have the two of you here is because I always like to take a moment during Radiothon to celebrate KZMU news during the news time. This is a program of KZMU that is four years old. Four years old. And um, every year it grows exponentially. It started as a part-time position with one person uh, just trying to throw out five minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And then that quickly grew into now a full news department with two full-time reporters, journalists, professional news people, uh, Molly Marcello and Justin Higginbottom. And now I'm, I'm imagining the, uh, the applause. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been a big year. Um, it feels mm-hmm. like every time we do Radiothon news recaps, it's it's been a big year. Um, but tell me a little bit about some of the stories that have really um, gotten you like jazzed or that you have felt like this, this, you know, that feeling yeah. of you're like, this is why I do this. This is why I love it. Molly, do you want to go first? Sure. And I feel like I'm going to anticipate what Justin's going to say, too, um, <laughs> because and we have been talking about this during Radiothon, but we put out our very first ever audio magazine not too long ago, um, which was Justin's idea. Tell us why you wanted to do this again. <laughs> yeah, why did I want to do that again? Why it was did a you want to do that? Um, First of all, can, can you tell me what is an audio magazine? Because I feel like people associate... We made this term yeah, magazine with the term up, Yeah, Basically, it was our idea um, to sort of rip on other long-form nonfiction uh, audio pieces like This American Life or some other podcast like that, but make it our own. We mm-hmm. didn't want to mm-hmm. necessarily copy anyone. but Inspired by. Inspired by, yeah. Mm, I like that. Yeah, and I don't know. Because we work in community radio, I think we have a lot of freedom and leeway to kind of experiment with mm-hmm. formats. And uh, why not? Yeah, we decided to, to do this kind of longer format um, piece where we could play different kinds of stories, even fiction we had and, and music in, in this in this latest episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it turned out well. It was really it was hard work and we learned a lot, I think, from this first episode, but I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the next one. It was definitely a way that um, we wanted to bring in freelancers. Um, we wanted to bring in like creative writers, musicians into um, the KZMU sphere in another way. Um, it's also a way that we could approach reporting in our town differently. Um, Mm -hmm. We talked a lot earlier this year about visioning for Mm -hmm. KZMU News and like what we wanted to report on, how we wanted to do it. 
that we just we wanted to add to our media landscape here in this corner of southeastern Utah and not really like duplicate. So that's kind of where we we came at this uh, audio magazine project with um, it's because amazing. it's really like I mean picking a theme like we picked um, off to the races for our first one our next one will be neighborhood <gasps> is this <Yes>. exclusive <laughs> this is exclusive <Yeah. laughs> if anybody is excited about contributing to an audio magazine on the theme neighborhood um, oh my please gosh. get in touch with us what I'm makes so a neighborhood what happens when the neighborhood yeah. disappears mm-hmm. really you can go very loose on this topic but it's it's like having a theme is is a way for us to sort of approach our community and the stories that um, we can tell in our community differently yeah. than just like sort of the day to day, which is also really important too. It's so. true. It's true. And I think that's something that makes KZMU KZMU News so special. Is I don't hear I don't hear anyone else doing the news just like how we do the mm-hmm. news. You know, KZMU started as a little trailer uh, high atop Rocky Road with a bunch of DJs who were obsessed with music and just <laughs> wanted to do something cool and fun for the community. And uh, and there was a little bit of news happening at the time as well, like some community events, announcements, and things like that. But it, it's not like KZMU is a radio station that's having to fit into an existing mold in right. when it comes to journalism. So to be able to have a team like you two coming from very different kind of journalistic backgrounds, um, both in the community and outside of the community, both of you, the KZMU was your first broadcast journalism mm-hmm. venture. Um, do, do you remember how you first got started with KZMU, Justin? I think I might have just cold emailed you out of the blue. <laughs> I was I was still living uh, overseas reporting in print, which was getting more and more depressive. It was during COVID <laughs> and freelancing budgets were drying up. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to get into radio and want to come back home to, to Utah. And so, yeah, I think I just emailed you and asked if there was any opportunity for, for me to try to transition from print to radio and you were extremely accommodating and then you happen to have a grant funding there was a grant to investigate the the oil industry in the area mm-hmm. and so my first mm-hmm. couple stories in broadcast were were those were those stories for for you all and you helped me uh even do the editing like i had questions i've never never used an editing uh, program before and and i was able to called you and not be so stressed out and you helped me out there (laughs) yeah this is i mean i love this story because i think that this taps into the the magic of moab the magic of kzmu that's our thing you know we bring people in and it's like are you are you into zydeco music and want (laughs) to learn how to use a turntable come on up to the station (laughs) oh are you into like local community journalism and lifting up local voices but you've never used a microphone before well get in here (laughs) um and then and you've come so far justin uh you know i don't want to embarrass you on the air but but your reporting is amazing and you've come so far in terms of your ability to um, produce pieces and you have a personality on the air and yeah, yeah, only on the, the air. air. Off the air, no. <laughs> That's my business. Uh, off the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but recently I've been having people come up and saying like, I love that trucker piece that just Yeah, I know. Did. The trucker piece. Yeah, talk about like the, the stories we're excited about. That one was probably one of our favorite Can you pieces. talk a little bit about that, what yeah. that was like for you to make uh-huh. that piece? Yeah, it's something um, sort of you're surrounded by, especially in this community where I bet you hear some of it uh, right now in this broadcast, but just the semis rolling through town. It's part of that background noise in America. And 
one of the really cool things about journalism in general, but especially in broadcast, um, is that you get to kind of dive into these subcultures and figure out just what's, what's it like doing this thing that maybe you don't think about a lot. And just mm -hmm. being able to just walk up to truckers stopped in town taking a break and just ask them, what's it like to be a trucker? What are, you know, what are your thoughts on the industry, um, <laughs> on your job? It was enlightening. It was awesome. I could have... That was a motor. My next story is on motorcycle riding. And I, and I didn't interview that many, but I could have, I could still do that every week interview truckers and everyone will have like an awesome story. They're well, such an interesting like group of people. It's interesting too, because Moab, like we don't have a truck stop, you know, we don't have yeah. a loves, we don't have anything like that. But this, this is one of those places that the, in order to get from A to B, you have to kind of go through Moab in this mm -hmm. area. And so it's really exciting, I think, to be able to hear from people, hear from those uh, truck drivers that are passing through Moab, um, even though it's not like your stereotypical kind of truck stop. Right. Uh, so th that's just so cool. And it sounds like you had fun doing it, too. I did. Yeah, Good. it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, listeners, you're tuned to KZMU. We're going to chat a little bit more. We're going to keep talking to, to Molly and Justin here of KZMU News. And then we do have a newsreel for you today. Uh, so you'll be able to hear from our media partners, the Moab Sun News and the Times Independent. First, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, KZMU News looking forward. We're, we're at the end of our 30th mm -hmm. year um, of KZMU. And we're, at, we're kind of, you know, you started in... I think our first broadcast was in August. Is that right? April 2018. April. Right. It was forget. on our birthday. That's and right. We had, um, yeah, we had a little celebration. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're rounding out our, our fourth year of KZMU News as well. And um, as we continue to grow and support the news department, um, you know, we've talked a little bit in-house about hiring a programs, a youth programs director and, and wanting to model after some of our sister stations like KVNF and KDNK and get get the youth on the air. Uh-huh. But what else are you excited about for KZMU News looking forward? Like when people call in and want to support KZMU News, what are, what are they going to be supporting? Well, I feel like KZMU News has grown up a lot in these four years. And I feel like right now we are sort of hitting like a new stride. And I think a lot of that has to do with the visioning work that Justin and I did earlier this year. And we're kind of finding um, our unique voice, I guess, for the community, um, for our radio station and I can only see that you know growing donations to KZMU News will support things that are more practical like um, a windscreen for our microphones <laughs> and headphones because Justin's headphones oh, have geez. it's just been a nightmare so headphones <laughs> I don't know what's going on but like headphones yeah. in general they're uh -huh. either they're either like $19 and they don't work or they're $300 right I know it's where where's the middle? Where's I know the middle where's ground? the middle. But anyway, so it, it will support like practical things that actually make help us do our reporting in the field and then also at the station. But also just you know being able to hire um, freelancers, like we said, for our special programs. Being able to reach out and do new projects, like we want to start um, radio diaries, for example. That's something that's been on my mind. I know it's been on your mind, Sarah. Yeah. Um, and it'll support um, yeah future projects at KZMU News and we're just um, sort of gaining our voice right now I feel 
Oh, I'm so excited for that. What about you, Justin? What are some things that you're looking forward to as you keep like kind of settling into your comfy chair uh, in the news department? <laughs> it is a comfy chair, I like so I don't need a new chair. Okay. Um, but yeah, so because I'm full time now, um, so now we have two full time reporters. I think we have more time to, mm -hmm. to report kind of daily news updates mm -hmm. and stuff, but also spend time on longer features, um, possible investigative work, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. just just things that just take take time and resources. Mm -hmm. um, so so more of that. Um, even and then in terms of practical things, just literally gas money just to drive <laughs> to kind of remote <laughs> areas of the state to to report on some of these things. Yeah. Um, where there's so there there are some great reporters mm -hmm. working in this area, obviously, but um, it is there's some areas that seem like a news desert somewhat, mm -hmm. and, and we're trying to, especially down in the Navajo Nation and some areas like that that are hard to get to. And yeah, I'm looking forward to especially this season because I don't have air conditioning, and I'm now able to. It's the season to go south for me <laughs> to report more. So, so more reporting down uh, in the Four Corners area. Yeah, we've been joking that Justin is our seasonal reporter <laughs> in certain corners of the state. But yeah, you are about to continue your reporting on the Utah side of the Navajo Nation. And gas money is definitely um, yeah. part of that, that's, part of our budget. Yeah, that's where your donation, that's part of where your donations are going to. Um, you know, I think... A, as, as more people tune in to KZMU News and, and hear that you're able to report um, more in San Juan County and just in these greater areas that are a bit more remote, a bit harder to travel to, um, have what? so how can people engage with the news besides listening? Like if somebody has a story or if somebody wants to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like is there, I mean, I'm setting you up. I know the answer, but how do people get engaged how can they participate well of course they can um, reach out to news at kzmu.org um, that's an email that we check and if anyone has any tips or wants to get involved as a freelancer or just has a suggestion um, please email us there was there another thing you were thinking about Sarah I mean, mostly I was thinking about the news at kzmu.org email okay. address because <laughs> okay. it, I don't know how much it gets used, but I do feel like it's an underutilized resource. Uh -huh. It's a direct way for you, dear listener, to to get engaged and to be involved in, involved in local civics in some way. Right. Even if you just want to comment on a story that we've done or didn't do or, you know, give us feedback in any sort of way, that's, that's a, definitely a way to do it. And we're such a small, there's two of us. We live here. We're part of your community. We're your neighbors. It's very, just please reach out yeah. if you have anything on your mind. For sure. And also, um, the podcast, real quick. Talk about the podcast. Sure. Yeah, the podcast, um, KZMU News Podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we have listeners on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, all those sorts of different platforms, even on SoundCloud, which is where our RSS feed is hosted in Ooh. case anyone really wants to delve RSS. deep into podcasts. Still not totally sure what that is, but it's important <laughs> to podcasting. It, is, it is essential to podcasting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the KZMU News Podcast, if you miss um, broadcasts at noon and, and the rebroadcast at seven, it's just easy to um, download to your personal device. Um, one of our listeners recently got back to us with some feedback that they download the podcast all at once every week. So they do a KZMU News. I love that. Yeah. Overload. <laughs> once a week, house cleaning, listen to KZMU News. Uh -huh. 
Binge, yeah. Binge it. Uh, well, thank you both so much. Another one of the things that we bring to you, um, and by we, I mean they, Molly and Justin, uh, their hard work also goes into the Newsreel, which is a weekly collaboration with media partners, Moab Sun News and the Times Independent. And we have the Newsreel for you right now. Is there anything else you want to say? No, just thank you to everybody who has donated so far. And thank you for everybody who listens. I love hearing when um, I love when people come up to us and tell, tell us they listen to the news. It's great. Yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And yeah, any feedback at all? Critical feedback, positive I'm just feedback? Always totally. looking for critical feedback. <laughs> Give me critical <laughs> feedback, yeah. But yeah, you can email us anytime uh-huh. um, or stop by the station even and very willing to hear from anyone in the community what we should be covering, what's important to them, and yeah, what they think of our work so far. Awesome. And now the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The Moab 240 Endurance Run is an ultra marathon bringing runners through places like Lockhart Basin, Dry Creek, and the LaSalle Mountains over four consecutive days. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent spoke to one ultra marathon team for their latest edition. Yeah, I don't know what listeners were uh, doing this past weekend, but my guess is that it is not what Sean Eversole was doing this past weekend. He participated in a 240 mile ultra run in the Moab Desert. Um, it's an, a yearly event that's been going on for about six years. And I actually got to sit down with Sean and his wife and crew, Leah, um, and chat with them about the experience of, of running in and participating in this race. Okay, so this is a big deal. Um, how do people even run more than 10 miles? Yeah, speaking as somebody who's never run more than four miles at one point in my life, <laughs> right. I am confused. Sean did the 240 miles in 90 hours. And that includes like little pit stops for sleeping. That includes like everything. Wow. So you talked to him about their experience. Mm-hmm. What did you find there? Really inspiring words. I mean, it was fascinating to talk to Sean, who said that he first picked up running just, you know, to keep in shape like a lot of people mm-hmm. do and eventually got into ultra running and discussed. Um, the sense of gratitude he feels out on the trail, the types of mental challenges you go through when you're you're walking and, and running through the desert under the hot sun and up through the snowy mountains all at the same time. Um, just fascinating to get kind of a glimpse into uh, the mindset of somebody who's able to do this. And then also chatting with Leah about the intense work she does crewing Sean, because her job is to show up at these aid stations, like get him all ready, get him prepped, send him off drive back to Moab, get an hour of sleep and turn around and go right back to the next aid station and meet him there. So, you know, they were saying it's it's as much a marathon for her as it is for him. Mm. And it's not like, you know, this is a straight line on a road, right? They're they're going on a trail. It's remote. I mean, they're going through Lockhart Basin, the Abajos Mm -hmm. and the LaSalle's Dry Valley. Um, it's, a, it's an intense experience. I mean, Sean told me stories about almost walking on a rattlesnake at night in Canyonlands <laughs> in the middle of the night. Like, uh-huh. what do you do out there? Uh, just wild experiences that they're having. You know, there's a profile in the Times Independent this week about um, this ultra running team and any any motivation for doing it or like what what do they like about it? Sean told me that he likes he likes how the race boils life down to kind of its simplest elements, you know, mm-hmm. left foot, right foot, left foot, mm-hmm. right foot. And he said you can bring lessons from these ultra races back into daily life, mm-hmm. just realizing, you know, what it you tr- what it is that you truly need to survive and to feel good in life and how much of society is a distraction, he said, and also just the satisfaction of 
being able to push your body past what you ever thought it could do and, and taking those lessons back into life and talking. He had some really beautiful words about resiliency and how the body, you know, you don't think he said after his first marathon, he couldn't walk for days. Wow. Right. But he's doing this now. And yeah. slowly you build up that resilience and that toughness in your body and you extend it far past what you ever thought your capabilities were. So it's all very inspiring and, uh -huh. and lofty. And I really encourage folks to to read the Q&A. All right. Thank you so much, Sophia. Where do you want to take us next in the Times Independent? Uh, election coverage. We've got a bunch of it. The elections are coming up in, I think, less than a month at this point. Mm -hmm. And ballots are coming out next week. Yeah. So. And thanks to KZMU, too. I mean, you know, the, our, our front page main story is a recap of the awesome debate that you and the League of Women Voters and the ACLU of Utah hosted on Monday. So that was really awesome cross-media collaboration. <laughs> thank you, Sophia. And thank you for being there and writing about it and giving it some more coverage because um, really we, we were hoping to provide provide just another platform for candidates to share their ideas and for people to get to know them. It is nice to hear them, you know, answer oh, questions. Absolutely. So yeah, we've got a story on that debate. We have a story inside the edition on last week's Chamber of Commerce debate. Great. And I also profiled the two candidates running for fire commissioner, which is kind of quickly, quote, heating up into this election season's <laughs> hottest Heat race. Heating up. I can't avoid the puns with this one. <laughs> so this is heating up. And um, tell us why, Sophia. Certainly. So right now, um, the race for commissioner for the Moab Valley Fire Protection District, uh, there are two candidates for this race. One is Charlie Harrison, who's the incumbent. He's been in the position for two years. The other one is Sam Van Wetter, um, who you know has not been a fire commissioner. And there's been a lot of chit chat online about relevant experience. I mean, Harrison has had 15 years of experience as a volunteer firefighter versus bringing a new vision, a new approach, um, which is how Van Wetter is certainly um, orienting himself. So I just chatted with both of them about, you know, asking kind of their best pitch for voters. Mm. Why should voters choose them? So I, I certainly encourage y'all to check it out. I think it's very informative um, and hopefully, you know, cuts through some of this uh, back and forth that we can get into on social media. There is a lot of um, back and forth on social media. Did any of the candidates address that or did you choose to ch focus on just the issues? Um, they kind of went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly talked with Van Wetter about his um, non-experience as a volunteer firefighter, but other experience that he has that mm -hmm. he feels is relevant. So addressing mm -hmm. some of those conversations online. Um, and just talking to Charlie Harrison as well about what he's been able to do as commissioner in his two years and what his vision for the department is. Um, I also spoke with both of them about annexation because mm -hmm. that's one of the hot topics um, in this race is, you know, should the fire protection district kind of incorporate more of Grand County into to its tax base and right. thereby also formally have the responsibility to respond to fires there. And in, in short, both of them said they're definitely open to the idea of exploring it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely encourage people to check out this coverage because um, this is not usually a race that is contested or not in a way that is causing um, this much interest, I should say, in our mm. community. Where should we go next? Uh, Arches National Park. All right. They're closing their gates again, as your headline says. Yeah, a little sense of deja vu here. Uh, as folks may know, Arches National Park piloted the six-month timed entry program. It ended October 3rd, about a week and a half ago. And every day since the conclusion of the pilot, the park has been closing its gates um, due to congestion and overcrowding, as it has done in, in many previous busy seasons. Okay, so this is kind of an interesting test case this year. For most of the year, we've had this pilot 
reservation system. And then for part of this busy season in the fall, mm. not a reservation system. Anything else to say here, Sophia? Uh, just that, you know, the the kind of daily closures and reopenings are, are pretty in line with what the Park Service expected, according mm. to spokesperson Kate Thomas. She did say that on average under the pilot, I mean, most of the data from the pilot program is still forthcoming, but um, I, she did say that on average during the pilot program, the park turned away about 230 vehicles a day. Mm. And so far, or actually in March and so far since ending the pilot, they've closed something more like 600, or sorry, they've turned away wow. more like 600 vehicles a day. So certainly a big difference there. I mean, it's of course, that piece of data is not the whole picture of, of the impacts um, of, of timed entry versus not timed entry, but that's definitely a little interesting little factoid. Okay, more coverage in the TI. And briefly, there is another article in the Times Independent about the Mobile Police Department, um, another new person on board. Yes, I think this is an exciting story. I mean, we've had a bunch of stories on new hires in the police department since Chief Jared Garcia came online um, in the spring we just hired a new administrative sergeant, Scott Finlayson. Mm-hmm. He has about 25 years of experience on the Wasatch Front, and he also worked for 17 years alongside the uh, newly hired assistant police chief, Lex Bell. So really exciting to see relationships that kind of already exist in the force and um, just awesome to see the police department restaff itself because, as folks know, it was pretty severely understaffed last year. Yeah, it seems like the new police chief is bringing on people that he certainly knows and has worked with before. And looks like um, Scott Finlayson is certainly a part of that crew. And restaffing a department, um, that is something that many police chiefs have talked about for many years. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, um, at least with their admin staff, it's it's happening. Yeah, I just uh, knock on wood that they, these guys have housing. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Our new-ish Friday segment called What Happened at the Meeting is put together by Moab Sun News editor and publisher Maggie McGuire. She joined us for the newsreel this week, so I asked her to give us a couple highlights on what happened at this week's city council meeting. So at this week's city council meeting, we got a little preview of what the city visioning plan will will ultimately be. Um, They had a draft version, and this is a... Um, multi-month, kind of the better part of a year uh, project called Moab Tomorrow Together that worked doing um, focus groups and kind of town hall meetings with community members to figure out where Moab residents um, imagine the town going in the future. So this document is really interesting for folks who want to get involved and have really strong opinions about the future of Moab. And again, sort of those, those overall policy um, and kind of procedure decisions going forward. So I would recommend that people, you know, open it up, page through it, take a look. There's a lot of information in that. And if your elected officials are reading it, then so should you. So that has been a long-term project that the city council and community members have been working on. Anything else interesting in that meeting this week? Um, Yeah, we haven't really talked about the Walnut Lane project. And I feel like quite a while. So Walnut Lane is a mobile home park in Moab that was purchased by the city of Moab um, with the intent on developing these sort of like dilapidated trailers into up to code affordable housing without displacing any residents. This project has hit though a bunch of challenges in its life. So in September, 2021, however, like the construction company that um, the city had hoped to work with to develop these units 
uh, you know, basically said that they couldn't get it to pencil out um, for a lot of reasons. You know, a lot has to do with construction and materials costs going way, way up because of the pandemic. And so eventually these folks, you know, were just like, we can't do this for um, what we agreed to do um, for the amount of money, basically. So that left the city in a really hard position. And currently they're going through drafting basically a request from proposals for a public-private partnership with a development company. So this would, you know, kind of offset some of the administrative and, and other responsibilities that right now the city of Moab, you know, has on its shoulders. So that's super interesting. Um, that's something that they are trying to get the request for proposals posted, you know, in like the next month or so. And what I really thought was interesting in this meeting was, you know, while Ben Billingsley, uh, the city finance director was talking about this, you know, um, looking for these development companies, you know, and all of this sort of formal process that the city itself had actually took a step back and went to the current residents of Walnut Lane and just like talked to, to them, <laughs> you know, and said like, hey, what do you guys think of all of this? And that's something that, you know, in news coverage and in meetings, you know, has, I think, been left out of the conversation is the perspective of the people who literally are, are currently living there. Yeah, it, a lot of this stuff has been talked about at a high, high level. Um, this affects real people, real members of our community. Yeah, totally. And there are challenges to both ways of discussing it. But I, I do appreciate that the city basically went to all of the current residents of Walnut Lane. And, you know, one of the challenges of this project is that they didn't want to displace anyone. I mean, this project is to create affordable housing and you're not really achieving that if you're throwing a bunch of people out of housing. Um, right. But that makes, of course, you know, figuring out like, well, how do you do construction on the site without, you know, displacing all of these folks? So they did a survey of the current residents and found a bunch of really interesting things. And one of the things that um, Ben Billingsley reported that staff was a little surprised at is that the majority of people uh, really wanted to stick with their home, um, even though at this point it seems like um, the roads to moving into, to, like I say, an up to code you know, new built affordable housing unit is going to be really long. Honestly, it might be, a, you know, they were kind of talking about like, it might be quicker to literally find a new place to live, um, even with the housing challenges in Moab, um, mm -hmm. just because of all of the delays on this particular project. And I thought it was really fascinating that the majority of current tenants said, you know, that they still, even with that, wanted to stay in their homes. You know, many of these folks are families with, with school-aged children. Walnut Lane is, you know, located within town. So it's also close to a lot of these tenants, you know, work and to schools. Um, and, you know, most of all, even though, you know, the current housing is really challenging, it's in poor condition for sure. But even then, the majority of tenants said, you know, these are these are our homes. So we have more details about the survey, you know, in this week's edition. And with this request for proposals going out, you know, it's really likely that we'll have updates on the Walnut Lane project, um, you know, within the next few months. And that this is going to be, you know, an ongoing story that I think encapsulates a lot of the challenges of, of housing in Moab in general. So we're looking forward to seeing how it goes. 
Well, thank you, Maggie. And there's one more story in the Moab Sun News I'm hoping you could highlight that's outside of the meeting space, um, but is really important. Fill us in. Sure. You know, our staff writer, Rachel Fixen, who is, you know, thoughtful and amazing, she um, attended part of a three-day law enforcement training focusing on on sexual assault investigations um, and actually turned in two front page articles um, just because the information and the, the implications for, you know, public health and safety for folks in Moab could be really large. So yeah, Utah as a whole um, is trying to increase the training available for law enforcement officers on specifically sexual assault investigations. You know, most people have heard about the challenges that law enforcement all over the country have faced and the failures, frankly, not only you know, forensically, but also like uh, interpersonally or having, you know, sensitivity to the victims of, of sexual assault and, and violence. So there was actually a piece of legislation in Utah back in 2017 that mandated increased training from the Utah Prosecution Council to be made available across the state. So this is part of that effort. These folks um, are are trying to get actually all over the state um, directly, rather than kind of insisting that law enforcement officers from fairly rural parts of the state, you know, travel to Salt Lake to be able to get this. You know, this is considered a matter of of such importance that you know these folks are taking the time to to travel around um, and come to where people are. You know, sort of the boots on the ground to be able to give this training. One other section that I would add, Rachel's piece also really covers a lot of the improvements that the social safety net, you know, of law enforcement and hospitals and, um, you know, service organizations are trying to build um, to improve, you know, treatment of victims and, you know, um, investigation of these sorts of crimes. Um, And that's everything from, you know, making sure that there's funding to address, you know, rape kit uh, backlogs, which has been, you know, obviously a huge issue um, across the country. But also, I I just think it's really interesting and and important for people to know that here in Moab, um, in the last few years, Moab Regional Hospital has really tried to expand the availability of nurses who are are qualified to um, do rape kits. And those are called sexual assault nurse examiners. For a long time, there was just one um, at Moab Regional Hospital. So the availability was like not, not so great. Now there are eight fully qualified um, sexual assault nurse examiners on staff um, at Moab Regional Hospital. But, you know, the surprising thing is even with that, there are times when there are still no qualified folks to be able to do a, a rape kit or an exam locally. So there's still room to kind of grow that that safety net for, for victims of sexual assault, not only in Moab, but, you know, across the state, but particularly in, in rural areas. So there's a pair of articles in the Moab Sun News um, related to this topic. And the other one is a conversation that Rachel had with um, a member of the Moab Police Department. Could you highlight a little bit from that article? Yeah. You know, as part of attending, you know, this this um, law enforcement training you know, Rachel had the opportunity to talk to Moab's new assistant police chief, Lex Bell. So Bell joined the department um, pretty shortly after our new police chief, Jared Garcia, was hired. Um, They've known each other for quite a long time. So it was interesting for Rachel to talk to assistant police chief Bell because, you know, Moab has faced our share of um, pretty high profile and intense cases that brought a lot of scrutiny on the Moab police department. And so I think it's really important for folks to get a good idea of the direction 
direction that these new uh, law enforcement officers are trying to pull the Moab City Police Department. Um, you know, this is a, a, a fairly significant amount of turnover. And, you know, with that change comes new priorities. Maggie McGuire, editor and publisher at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. And thank you, listener, for tuning in and supporting community-powered radio during Radiothon. Our newscast's existence and ability to thrive is because of that support. And we thank you so much.